Hello and welcome to the Marketing Futures Podcast, proud member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. We here at Marketing Futures are all about making predictions, looking into the future as our business after all. But there is a difference between making an educated guess about what's to come and using all the data at your disposal to make an honest-to-goodness forecast on the future. Jason Rockman and Curtis Cochran of Definition 6 are here to take us through the forecasting process, share some unexpected ways brands can use forecasting, and explain how brands can take the first steps to developing a clearer vision of what's to come. All right, everybody, it's that time again. We are in the ANA Marketing Futures Virtual Podcast Studio. I have two guests today. It's always exciting when we got a, a multi-person scrum going on. So uh, please help me welcome Jason Rockman and Curtis Cochran of Definition 6. Jason, Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Michael, thank you for having us. Uh, myself and Curtis could not be more excited to chat with you today. The energy's starting high. I love it. We're, we're going in. We're keeping it up. So. We're going to be talking uh, a lot about forecasting. This is actually a really cool way of looking into the future and a way of talking about the future. But before we go too far, I'd love to just get our audience a little more acclimated with the two of you. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you please tell us a little bit about yourselves and how your journeys led you to definition six? I'll let somebody volunteer for the first one. Curtis, take it away. Yeah, so um, I arrived at Definition 6 after quite a long stint at a, a software company that specialized in accounting and, and business management solutions. For the first uh, little while, I, I led teams in the support organization, did a lot of research and analytics around the types of calls we were receiving and reporting those into to R&D. Um, and that was probably my first foray into really analytics as a real side hustle, if you will, to my normal job. Mm. And then uh, after that, I moved into a product manager role where I was responsible actually for a data collection utility that was implemented across a lot of our products. And we would organize that product usage data. Um, and then we essentially would turn that data back into enablement tools or learning systems for the customer. And then uh, I moved over into a traditional marketing analytics role. We were launching a, uh, a brand new solution and I came in and essentially set up the entire demand funnel performance reporting across all the omni channels that we were in market for. And then from there, I started here at D6. And, you know, I think since we've been here a few years, we've been able to grow our analytics practice into uh, to include a robust set of analytics for our clients, you know, most recently expanding uh, more into data science, really digging hard on forecasting, uh, which uh, complements our performance and optimization services that we already had. Very cool. So you came ready to play by the time you got to Def6. <laughs> I was ready to go. I was ready to use all, all the tools. Uh, Very for cool. Very cool. Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you uh, you ended up here on this pod this very day. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jason Rockman, I'm the president of Definition 6. I've been with the organization for almost seven years now. Um, and I've, I've spent the bulk of my career, which has spanned over 20 years working at uh, some of the uh, nation's and or globe's largest agencies, uh, working on brands like Home Depot, Coca-Cola, Walgreens, Nike, um, and was really exposed to analytics and, and at the time specifically econometric modeling way back in the early 2000s. 
working with a client and I was fortunate enough to be working side by side with analysts who had been uh, poached from American Express. Mm. And if you were around way back in the day, American Express was really the, the leading brand in terms of leveraging customer data to more effectively market. I do recall. Um, they, were, they were one of the groups that was really a leader in that space early on. Um, and this is before the, the concept of big data was, was even really a, a buzzword that thankfully is no longer yes. kicked around all that much. It had a great um, five weeks. But, so. but yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first exposure to, to analytics and modeling. And truth be told, I had no idea what was going on, but it was a really great place to be exposed to it and start the learning curve. Uh, and now, you know, 20 plus years later, I'm fortunate enough to work with uh, someone like Curtis and the team that he's put together here at Definition 6. All right. I, I have a very good feeling that we have the right people to talk about this, yeah. uh, this topic. So um, before we really jump right in, like I said, we're talking about forecast today, but I always like to set a baseline because our leader, listenership goes from, you know, aspirational to the, the experts of the experts. So just so we're on the same page, what makes a forecast a forecast as opposed to your run-of-the-mill trend predictions or, or kind of just a look to the future? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think a trend prediction for us, you know, is, is something that we think of as largely informed by historical performance. You know, we think of the trend line we see where we see it projecting up or down. And, and in many cases, using some sort of time series analysis or mechanism, you can project that out into the future, right? So you can say, hey, look, it looks like it's going up. It'll continue going up at the same rate. Mm. Um, we, we certainly use those in, in our practice. Um, they do inform on things like seasonality and how cyclical the business is. But for us, it's, it's essentially the, the starting point. It is, like mm. you said, it's, the, it's where you can establish the baseline for where we think performance is gonna go. For us as a practice, when we get engaged, we're trying to understand how we can change that trajectory and how we can change that trend line. And you know, for us, we're coming in usually with wanting to bring to the table a series of initiatives that we think can impact that trend line. So for us, a forecast is mapping out what those initiatives are, which include you know, a variety of things. It could be onboarding initiatives, retention initiatives, acquisition initiatives, and things like that. But we do also want to include the, the macro things. Like if we know there's a potential recession looming or there's issues with sentimentality of the product and things like that. We want to bake those two, those things in. So the forecast is, is more robust, right? It's taking that trend line. It's adding a, a bunch of different factors in to give you and project out where you think that performance will go given these other factors. And the really cool thing about a forecast is you can do any variety of those things and see different results. You know, we want to think of all of those things in the forecast um, and then essentially project out a new trend line against that business as usual kind of trend line. So Jason and I uh, had a conversation before and we were kind of like pulling out that forecasts can really span beyond what maybe a lot of our marketer listeners would immediately go to as, okay, envisioning a forecast. When you're working with brand clients, are there certain less obvious kinds of forecasting that you feel brands are really not taking advantage of the way they should? So the, the one that I always think about is the, the concept of using that forecast as a component of the, or, and a key component of the business case that's being developed for future investment or for, for program investment. And one of the things that 
we're focused on really as an organization is getting down to that strategy and tactic level and then looking at what the impact of key initiatives are on developing or, or really delivering incremental revenue and not over the course of 12 to 18 months, but really what can we expect on a monthly basis to be the result of going in and making improvements on a specific touch point or an overall program. So that for me is one of the key areas. Yeah, I mean, they're very similar. I, I think, you know, on one end of the spectrum, there's forecasts that you can do rather, rather quickly with limited inputs, right? Just to get, hey, look, let's put some numbers on the table and figure out what um, small increases or big increases might do to the, to the bottom line. Um, in other cases, the forecasts can be a, a lot richer and be used as a backstop for measuring performance against those initiatives. And, and I think that's something that I think a lot of agencies probably don't do is, is taking it all the way through and saying, hey, look, we said we can do this. Now let's go and do it and measure it along the way and take stock of this, whether or not it's a, a forecast around you know, how you might improve your, your email program or your loyalty program or how we think will improve your life cycle and retention cadences. So I, I think there's, we would want to bring to bear all of those different elements, depending on where we're engaging. But yeah, we we want to be with that process through the end. So if we make a forecast, we want to we want to be there with you to see it through. One quick thing on the um, forecasting with limited input that Curtis mentioned, it's such a great tool. If you're in a fast moving environment where you know things aren't going to be perfect or you don't have all of the ideal data sets working with limited data sets to at least pressure test key initiatives to give things the go or no go uh, mm. is, is really critical and something that not as many organizations as you might think are really thinking through. And that is one thing that we're, we're, we're always looking for is what can we do with what we have to better inform the decisions that we're looking to make as well as prioritize key initiatives so that we and our clients really know where to focus and then why we're focusing there. You know, predictions and forecasts, and, and, and Curtis, you alluded this uh, to this a bit. It could be a conversation starter or to show how up to date your agency is, but the fact that you keep with it and that you want to make these the metrics that we are going back and, and tracking. I think that that's a really cool thing. I think that that has to add something to the brand agency relationship where you're the one saying, well, no, we said that these motions could get these outcomes. Um, have you kind of seen that as, as a help to the relationships you've been establishing? I mean, absolutely. I think it puts a, a level of skin in the game, right? Where they, they know that you're there and you mean business and that if you're going to put that forecast on the line and this is what you say you can get, then I think it, it certainly adds some validity to, to the metric and the number because you're going to be there to back it up versus, you know, something you may do super high level, you know, just to get a, a reaction, right? Whereas if you're going to stay with it, they, they trust you that much more. Uh, uh, definitely agree. Jason? We see a, a lot of clients are very comfortable and used to seeing forecasts specific to working dollars or, or media dollars. Mm -hmm. They're less used to getting forecasts from agencies that are working on building out that, that customer experience specific to their 
their owned ecosystem. And that's really what we're focused on, which seems to have a, a pretty meaningful impact on the business and the relationship that we have with our clients. Because quite frankly, it's allowing us to quantify the value that we're bringing to the table. And we always want to put ourselves in the position to have the opportunity to be the, the best investment that any brand is, is making. And at the end of the day, that is every agency's goal, not just our own. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jason, you mentioned before that you will do some forecasts with limited data, obviously, maybe at the very beginning of a, of a, a relationship, maybe even before or the first few meaningful things, you take kind of what you know about the industry, kind of what you know about that company, and it could be uh, helpful in a directional way. But when you start working with a company, how important is data hygiene to the, your ability to deliver these forecasts? So data hygiene is <clears throat> critically important. I tend to think of data and its, its cleanliness, the way that, that organizations viewed websites 20 years ago, which was all we have to do is build up a website and then we're good. Now we very much view a website as something that needs to be continually maintained and optimized over time. Data, data sets, data lakes are the exact same thing. It's never, it's never done. It's always something that you have to be auditing and checking for accuracy, for cleanliness, to make sure what you have is, is accurate. And there's always going to be some degree of varying confidence between sources of data that we've seen. And it's about how you manage and work through that. And the, the reality is just with, with anything technical, there's generally a roadmap associated with how you're going to optimize and, or in this case, keep your data sets clean and um, appropriate for use. Because the last thing that you want to do is be introducing or leveraging data that is not accurate, because that is the fastest way to decrease credibility on what you're reporting. And, um, you know, once you start down that slope, it's hard to uh, climb back out. Mm. Curtis, would you agree, sir? Yeah, absolutely. And I would add, you know, I think just undertaking the forecast process, the forecasting process, right, is a is a step in understanding how clean that data really is. I mean, most most organizations don't have perfectly clean data, so there's always some some hurdle to get over. And I think, you know, making smart assumptions about how to clean that data is, is part of the process. But oftentimes when we're in the midst of the forecast and we realize we don't have, you know, something that connects the dots or we don't have a certain reliable element, you know, that be, that goes on that prioritization list of things that this client needs to do to shore up their resources. Because ultimately, a lot of the things we want to implement rely on having good data, right? And so if they don't have good data, then we can't do our implementation to start with. So and sometimes it does start you back and say, okay, hey, first things first. We need to get clean data, and then we can start rolling on our on our implementation. So I think it, it's a it's a good way to inform inform that as well. Mm -hmm. There, Michael, there is a, a, a I think an important call out in that every organization struggles with with the quality of their data sets. They they just do. It is absolutely a recurring theme. So you know, no one's perfect. No one's got the the ideal solution in place. They may have paid for or acquired all of the ideal tools, 
but whether or not they're fully leveraging those tools is a whole other story. So this is a little bit, a little bit of a kind of tangential thing, but I've been talking and hearing a lot about the importance of psychology and marketing and how that's kind of falling a little bit to the wayside in the advancements of all these tech and what is possible and, and these reams of data. So how does human psychology play a role in forecasting? Michael, it's a great question. And I immediately go to the, the reality that people are, I'm speaking in really super broad strokes in general mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. Most people, most groups are risk averse. I would agree with that. And a forecast by nature from what we've experienced has the tendency to make people uncomfortable because we're coming to the table with a goal that's quantified that leverages data that someone is giving us and we're building out or leveraging the models that we have to put numbers in front of people and say, this is what we can do. And it's significantly higher than what you're doing today. So if they're buying into that, essentially what they're doing is buying into risk and buying into change because we are coming to the table and, and making firm recommendations on things that need to change in order to drive a higher degree of performance. So it's a, a little bit of the, the old adage of getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we see clients come back to us quite often and really ask or inform us, hey, look, I'm taking these numbers to my executive leadership team. Are you guys really, really confident in these numbers? Because your numbers are my numbers mm -hmm. and we're all in this together. And, you know, we're completely transparent with our models. We sit down with our clients and work through the different variables. So yeah, we're, we're confident and we love when we have those difficult or, or um, pretty serious conversations. And then, you know, in another quarter, the clients come back to us and accuse us of sandbagging when uh, they were originally a little apprehensive to go by the forecast. So mm -hmm. for, for us, I, I see it as a lot of risk aversion and people mm -hmm. just getting comfortable being uncomfortable. So we touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to kind of dive a little deeper into this. There are benefits beyond landing a forecast with pinpoint accuracy to forecasting? What are some of the just kind of virtual circle type benefits that buying into forecasting and working with somebody who will, you know, go through this work and provide these forecasts? What are some of the kind of peripheral benefits aside just, you know, hitting the goal that, that you, you put forth? And I think the process of the forecast is to really start to understand and think about the business and in potentially different different ways. So how can I dismantle the marketing you know efforts into uh, chunks where I can engage with them differently and I can I can show growth, right? So it's as much about the process of gaining that understanding and helping the business gain that understanding that they may not necessarily realize like whether you nail the 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 goal with pinpoint accuracy is one thing, but how you got there and the, the, the elements that you took away from the process of forecasting, I think is, is hugely invaluable. I mean, we often have clients that we forecast goals every year and we do a half year review, just like a lot of companies. And we say, hey, you know what? What we thought was going to happen six months ago 
didn't happen, right? Things came in, changed, the, the environment changed, so we reforecast it, and then we get closer to those goals going forward. But that whole exercise of recasting goals, having conversations with the client about why they were missed or why they were low, um, is all part of understanding the business at a much more granular level. So I, I think at that level, you know, it's the, again, that the process of it is the important part in some cases. Um, and then having something to measure against is, is also incredibly valuable, right? Because like we said at the top of the call, we want to measure against what we said and we want to stay with it and we want to stay the course and, that, and that's part of it. There's also a, what we see happen when we're putting together this, these forecasts across different stages of the customer experience, the, the process and the end result, the forecast itself includes dependencies. Mm -hmm. And those dependencies are often linked to cross-functional teams within an organization. And, and there are members of those cross-functional teams on our side and, and our client side brings everybody together, effectively communicates to the broadest view of the team. Here's the goal. This is everything that we have to do to reach that goal. So there's a huge feeling of, okay, cool. That's the North Star. Here's the roadmap. These are all of the activities. And it ultimately gets to an increased sense of accountability mm -hmm. and responsibility and, and really pulls everybody together so that there's a, a shared interest, which is really important to, you know, getting people, getting, getting brands to that next level of financial performance, which is just invaluable for most organizations. It's so hard, certainly in today's day and age where everybody's everywhere, right? So I, I was just having a, a conversation this morning with someone that's at a top five retailer and their culture is everything. And now they're not, it's not mandatory that they're in the office anymore, oh, man, yeah. right? So how do you keep teams focused on that, that North Star? And this, these forecasts that, that we're developing can really serve as a subset to the, the big business goal and objective and give something that is much more digestible to members of the team and, and really focus their level of engagement and execution. The Champions of Growth podcast explores the various aspects of the ANA growth agenda with the goal of helping marketing leaders create a stronger, more sustainable economic future for their brands. With topics ranging from brand safety and ad fraud to marketing organization, host Matthew Schwartz discusses the topics that matter with our industry's foremost leaders. Check out ana.net slash podcast to learn more. That makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. And another thing I, I have to imagine uh, you said before, uh, forecasting is in essence risk. So there has to be a, an element of self-assessment and kind of being a little more self-aware of who you are as a brand when you're met with these forecasts. Um, I kind of, I, I, you know, I know that you're putting these together and using the data and presenting them, but there has to be a moment of self-reflection on the brand's side as to whether they really see themselves as ready to take these risks. And I, you know, either way, the answer, knowing that answer is a very uh, valuable thing as a marketer. Yeah, absolutely. And part of the story is what does it really take to get there? Can we move that fast? Can we secure the 
required level of, of budget dollars to get resources internally with our technology partners, with our agency partners to really run and execute against this plan. Um, so it, it really becomes a, a forcing mechanism to not just ask the tough questions, but also, you know, can you get the right answer to those questions? Right, absolutely, Curtis. Yeah, and I would add to that. I mean, I think an example of that kind of situation is when a client comes to you and they, you know, I have, a, I have this budget and I want to spend it. And, you know, this forecast really helps. A lot of times they want to spend it all on acquisition, right? They want to go heavy in media and they want to pay a bunch of uh, money to get net new acquisition. And, you know, our forecast may say, hey, you spend all of that, you're going to acquire X number of new customers. That's awesome. But it might be more economical to split that in half and spend half of that on retaining these customers you already have. Because our model is showing that it's, you know, the old adage, right? It's three times as expensive to acquire new customers to keep an existing one. And that's mm -hmm. true. And we see that in our modeling all the time, which is, hey, you really need to focus on the experience that you have, keeping your high value active customers high valuable and active and, and don't lose them because it's going to take you a lot longer and a lot more time to get those newly acquired folks in the door. And so I think those are sometimes, you know, the, the, the client has to course correct and their whole thinking around what, what they want to invest that money in. That's a great example. Um, so we're about to pivot a little bit on the podcast, but before we do, uh, if people are getting excited about this, they want to know what's in their company's forecast, where can they learn more about definition six? Yeah, the easiest thing to do is to go to our website, which is definition6.com, uh, or you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, and it's Jason Rockman on LinkedIn. I'm based in Atlanta. That's really the easiest way to get in touch with us, and we're more than happy to jump on a call or a Zoom and get the team together to have those conversations. We, we love meeting new people and building out our community um, and seeing where we can help. Very cool, very cool. All right, gentlemen. So these are a series of questions we ask every guest that comes upon the Marketing Futures podcast. Uh, this first one is open very deliberately. Curtis, let's go with you first. What are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's critical to make sure that everyone has you know an equal footing and equal opportunity um, to do the things that they're interested in and, and that they want to be successful in. So I do think it's important to have a, a diverse organization, have different thoughts and, and ideas. I think it's just, it's really critical in this day and age to have that, that remit. And there's certain groups of folks that don't have the same opportunities as others. And I do think it's, it's important to give those, those groups a voice and, and allow them to, you know, give it their shot. I love that. I love that. Jason. Big ideas can come from anywhere. And the, the broader your group is from a socioeconomic and every other type of background, the better off we all are as it relates to bringing great ideas to the surface and being able to not just help improve the, the, the business for our clients that we work for, but also for the, the quality of life that we have. Because the reality is we spend a lot of time with the people that we work with mm -hmm. all, yeah. all day, every day. And the last thing that I want is to be surrounded by a bunch of people like me or Curtis. Uh, we, we want to be surrounded by people that come at every situation with a new, different, fresh, informed perspective. And the only way to do that is to have a, 
a high degree of diversity in every sense of the word in your organization. I love it. And I couldn't agree more. All right, gentlemen, I've been nice so far. Uh You know, we've just been talking about data forecast, economic futures, easy stuff, easy stuff. Here comes the hard question. All right. Gentlemen, ready? Ready. I'm ready. All right, Jason, you're starting this. Jason Rockman, president of Definition 6. Yeah. What's your favorite album of all time and why? Um, great question. It's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shock. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. Go for what? Uh, give us a little background. Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I can't remember the exact year that the album came uh, out. What it means to you. I don't need, you know, you, I'm not asking you to do a behind the music on Jane's. No, yeah, but what, yeah, why, yeah. why does uh, that album just, connect with you? Uh, great music, great, uh, great vibe throughout the album. You know, it's, it's also an album telling, mm-hmm. telling a story and we don't get a whole lot of that concept anymore. And I'm not a traditionalist by any sense of the, uh, of the word, but but really, I can't. I'm, I'm assuming I had the CD, but it could have been a, a cassette tape. Also, mm-hmm. um, just wearing it out. Just great, great memories of that album. I love when a piece is meant to be sat and listened to in one yeah. sitting. There's just something special about that. So, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And Perry Farrell's a genius. And Ridic- a mad, mad genius. Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Curtis, favorite album of all time and why so i i think i'm i'm an old i'm an old hippie at, at heart so um what what came to mind when, when with this question was there's a bob D- bob dylan like bootleg series where he's doing a bunch of acoustic like folk songs and i can just remember being 18 19 and, and hearing that and i was like what is this this is awesome and it probably changed the trajectory of you know my life and who i hung out with and what kind of music i like so <laughs> Um, that's probably it. I mean, there's a lot of great albums around that, but that's the one that, you know, I would, I would hearken back to. And, and I think I even rebought it like a couple of years ago. Cause I was just like, this has been missing from my life. So, uh, love, so that's that. Probably it. love that. We've had a few Dylans on, but not real like bootleg acoustic. <laughs> and that is that's some of the, you know, you, you get performances that you're not going to get in a soundproof studio with a bunch of execs and an engineer yeah. and this and that, and everybody sitting around yeah. very, very nice answers, both gentlemen. Um, what a sonic spectrum we just <laughs> acoustic Dylan. I love it. I really love it. Um, fresh off the diversity question. No less. Yeah. <laughs> so let's bring it up to the current time. Uh, is there something you're listening to now, whether it's a song artist, a podcast, maybe it's a book, what's getting you excited nowadays? Let's go Curtis first. No, me first. <laughs> so mine's going to be a little representative of my current life situation, which is I have two girls that are two and five and my personal music taste or collection has been sidelined for theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, what's really hot is the uh, Trolls soundtrack of which both my girls will sing and dance on command. So I, I think that's, and it's oddly stuck in my head constantly, mm-hmm. but uh, it's some good stuff. It's Timberlake and, you know, there's, there's some, some good jams in there. So that, that's the, that's really the only thing I, that has been consuming my mind for the last couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. There's some earworms in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just now, and now you've got that one that made it to the, the radio stuck in my head. Yeah. So thank you. That's my weekend. 
uh jason what are you what are you listening or reading to now what's what's uh what's setting your mind on fire these days so i just finished i just finished reading and it's not a new book but the finding ultra i actually have it right mm. here uh yeah. by rich roll so i'm i'm deep into his podcast and uh probably more podcasts than music right now unless mm -hmm. i'm in my car so rich roll there's this guy peter atia who is a doctor and his practice is focused on longevity and preparing mm -hmm. identifying for how you want to spend the last 10 years of your life wow which is really bizarre to think about and then what physical condition do you need to be in <laughs> in order to be able to do the things that you want to be doing, you know, between let's call it 90 and hundred, mm. uh, which is really interesting. And he's an endurance athlete as well. Uh, and then on the, the comedy side, just there's, there's so many great comedy podcasts that are out there. And I've been um, pretty deep into those really throughout the pandemic because those, those just seem to explode. Very cool. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, thank you so, so much. Uh, this has been a very illuminating discussion, and I can tell you that our listeners appreciate it. And it's just been a pleasure having you here on the Marketing Futures Podcast. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.